0: Continue to look for the heart of God in the Gospel of Luke, and today we're going to see God's heart in the way Jesus brings dramatic and lasting change to uh, a man's life. Uh, Perhaps the most dramatic conversion in the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. So if you remember last week, the storm the crossing the Sea of Galilee. This is on the other side of the sea. This is the destination, right? Jesus said, we're going to go somewhere. This is the destination um, that we talked about last week. Verse 27, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, And he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So Jesus gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerizines asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And so he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them, but Jesus sent him away, saying... Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. (coughs) So, um, how many of you have ever had the, uh, the pleasure of changing the oil on a vehicle? Yeah, most of us, a lot of us. Okay. If you've never done that, um, it's really not that difficult. You should try it. Um, and uh, and I, remember the first, I remember my dad taught me how to change the oil uh, when I was a teenager. Probably need to teach my boys how to do that soon. Um, it's routine maintenance, right? It's really not that difficult. Um, the oil in the engine gets dirty after a while from doing its job of lubricating, right? And it needs to be replaced. And so all you have to do is drain the oil, the dirty oil, out, right? And then put the bolt back in so the new oil doesn't just completely drain right back out, right? And then you put new oil in the engine. It's really not that difficult, um, not that big of a deal, but it has to be done every so often. And I want to suggest to you that a lot of people think of the Christian life in that way. We get spiritual when we feel like we need an oil change or a tune-up. It's like taking a shower when you feel dirty. Most of us probably didn't take enough showers this week because we weren't going anywhere, right? But you start to feel dirty, you take a shower, right? And a lot of times I think that people think about spiritual things in this way. You actually see it all through the Bible, people thinking it that way, like, okay, I get dirty, I go get clean. I, I jump back into church when I feel like I need church. I need to get a little positivity back into my life, right? I need to even out the karma a little bit because maybe I've done a little bit too much here so I need to go get some good here, right? And uh, that that is not what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus does much more than just kind of change the oil. He yanks out the entire engine and replaces it. This man is an example to us of that kind of radical change. This man, by Jewish standards, was the most unclean that a person could possibly be. Okay, This man is living among the dead, surrounded by thousands of pigs. And so Jesus is... Jewish disciples, they see this man and they have multiple problems with his spirituality. Okay, he is literally and ceremonially as unclean as he could possibly be. And they're probably questioning Jesus, why did you bring us here? Why, why here? Why this man? And, and through a storm, no less, right, to get to him. But this man's life is really a powerful metaphor. He was a man living among the dead, which is how the Bible describes... Lostness. It's how the Bible describes us as lost people. We are essentially the walking dead. Right? Your body is alive, but your spirit, Ephesians 2, is dead in sin. And so Jesus doesn't just come to fix the external problems in this man's life to dress him up and clean him up and get him away from the pigs. and no, he actually has to do something, to free this man from spiritual bondage and death. The demons, of course, being a significant part of the problem for him, but not the only problem. Jesus is having to remove the graveyard that is both inside and outside this man's life. And as I said, this is probably the most dramatic conversion in the Gospels, but it's really no less miraculous than any other conversion, including your own, if you understand the nature of sin and death. If all we needed from God was a tune-up or an oil change, then we wouldn't really need Jesus. Jesus went to extremely dramatic links to create the kind of change that the Bible says we actually need. It's just not some kind of simple magic trick. In order to actually save us from sin and death, Jesus would have to do much more. That's interesting. I mean, he, he just tells the demons to leave, right? That's easy. But to deal with this man's sin and the consequences of death that's much harder. <clears throat> when we get to the end of Luke, <clears throat> Jesus is going to essentially trade places with this man. And think about the picture rolling up on the shore, the disciples seeing this man and the way he's living and the type of life he's living. But at the end of Luke, when we get to the story of the crucifixion, you're going to find Jesus naked, Isolated, outside the town, among the tombs, bound and under guard as He's being crucified. Which means that Jesus was not just willing to stand apart from this man and change His life but to essentially embrace him and become like him for him. And that's how Jesus is committed to changing our lives. That's what the Bible shows us, is that it's not just the physical pain and death. It was that Jesus was facing the wrath of God, the judgment of God for our sins. That's the real commitment. And Jesus didn't commit to doing that just for a a tune-up. It was not just for us to get some temporary cleanliness that we have to keep going back for, or else God's not going to accept us. It's to do a complete overhaul, and everything is tied to that. Or else it's nothing meaningless. The question is, do we really want that kind of change in our life? Do you even see the need for it? Because here's the real purpose of the story, I think. It's to say this very simply. (coughs) Rejecting change is rejecting Jesus. The people, the Gerasenes, Luke says they were frightened. They're scared by what happened, right? This is becoming a common theme. Jesus does something, people get scared. And they're so frightened by what Jesus does that they ask him, no, they didn't ask him. Luke says they begged him to leave, right? Please, Jewish guy, please leave, please leave us. And I can think of two reasons why. The most obvious one, the one that all the commentators point to, is the value of the pigs. Okay, so this you think about it, it's a very very obvious one, right? 2,000 pigs drowning in the sea would have been a major blow to their economy, (laughs) right? I mean, that's a lot of animals in a time when animals were worth a lot more, and so They see the power of Jesus to cause something like that, and they're like, you know, we need you to go. (laughs) We can't handle any more loss. So they ask Jesus to leave before he does any more damage. But I think there's really a second reason. And I think it's the fear of transformation the fear of things changing, and I say that because I think it's it's psychological, sociological, all of it true, that we really don't like change. People don't like change as a rule. We talk about it, especially at the first of the year, how much we wish things would change with us, really, but we don't really like putting in the effort to do the things that are necessary for change. We're more comfortable just staying the way things are. This is true even in victimhood, right? Victims often prefer to stay victims, as crazy as that sounds, because that's just the way that sin works in our hearts. We willingly choose it over Jesus. We willingly choose this world over the kingdom of God. Even as Christians, this is still a struggle for me as a Christian, I often see a need for change in my life, but my flesh doesn't really want God to change it because I'm comfortable. I'm good enough. I'm, you know, I'm doing better than most. It's how we talk to ourselves internally, right? I'm doing okay. I don't need, that's, that's not that big of a deal. What you're doing, that's a big deal. Me, not so much, right? And what's interesting is that's true of Christians, but it's especially true of people who are not Christians. When I talk to people who are skeptical about the faith, if they're really honest, and I've had some people be really honest with me. I've actually had numerous people tell me this. They will say, you know, Mike, this idea of God forgiving us and Jesus dying on the cross for people and, you know, the gospel, it it sounds nice, but the reason that, that I don't want to believe it is because I don't really want to change, or I don't really see a need to change. I'm comfortable with who I am as a person, and if I believe that, then I have to believe there's something wrong with me, and I'm not sure that I want to believe that there's something wrong with me, because they know, and they're being honest, and I appreciate this. If you accept Jesus, you're right. Your life has to change. There's something about you that's not okay, that God has every intention of changing. Probably a lot more than you realize. But I want you to notice in the story, they beg Jesus to leave and what does Jesus do? He leaves. Jesus is not forcing himself upon these people. Now, whatever you believe about the sovereignty of God and the, and the free will of man, which I don't believe are incompatible. You know, we talk about all of that. And, um, but it, notice, Jesus is not forcing himself on these people. Okay, He leaves them for now in their unbelief. He lets them have what they want. And you know that is basically all the Bible really means by judgment essentially is God giving us over to the desires of our hearts and letting them destroy us. This is what Paul clearly explains in Romans 1. I'm going to read it verse 18. For the wrath of God, right? The wrath of God, the judgment of God is revealed from heaven against All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them. It's obvious to them because God has shown it to them. How has He done that? Verse 20. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, and so they were without excuse. But God's revealed Himself. The Bible says that if you choose to not believe in God after looking at everything honestly, then you're intentionally suppressing the truth. You're, You're saying in your heart that it's not true, but you're missing the obvious that's all around you, right? For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore, God gave them up. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth for God about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. That's pretty clear, right? Judgment is God giving people what they want. And so a person who doesn't want change can't have Jesus. Rejecting change is... Rejecting Jesus. The real question underneath what Paul is saying in Romans is this. Who do you believe is actually Lord over your life? Are you in control? Or is God in control? That's the fear that's what's underneath the fear of the people that are asking Jesus to leave. It scares them to think that maybe they are not in control of their own lives. And that's really what sin looks like. It is, it is this desire for us to rule in God's place. We want to be in control of our own fate. It offends us that someone might come and suggest that that's not true. And until God breaks that rebellion in our hearts, we will reject true change. And we will reject Jesus. We will only submit in the areas that we're comfortable with. We will only obey when it is convenient. We will only worship when we feel like it. We will only serve when it benefits us, when it makes us look good. But y'all, following Jesus is trusting him with everything. And he's patient with us. That does not happen overnight. Do you believe that there exists such a love in this universe, a love that is so powerful that it could change everything? Because that is what Christians believe. As the hymn writer Isaac Watts says, God's love for us in Jesus is a love so amazing, so divine, that it demands my soul, my life, my all. And we see it in the life of this man, right? Jesus changes the dude's life, and he really, really wants to go with Jesus. Because of course he does. But Jesus doesn't let him, does he? Most of the people that wanted to follow Jesus, Jesus said, yeah, come on. But not this guy. Jesus leaves him alone with an exceedingly difficult job to do. Jesus says, I want you to go preach to the people who are afraid of me and asking me to leave. (laughs) If that were me, I would be asking this question. Okay, how do you expect me to reach people for Jesus who are literally rejecting Jesus in the flesh right now? <laughs> that's a crazy mission. But that's the job that Jesus gives him to do, and the man does it. No questions asked, right? Okay. That's faith, right? I mean, this is a lesson to the disciples. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells them a parable about a servant who wastes time while the master is away and does nothing but indulge himself. And then Jesus says this. says, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Who's the person who's been given much? If you understand grace, if you know the love of Christ, then the answer is... Every Christian has been given much, right? And because we've been given much, so much is also required in return. But when Jesus says much is required, it's not a demand or an obligation. It doesn't feel like that to those who know His love, right? It's much more of a desire for us to give back in gratitude with everything that we have, because so much has been done for us. And the more that we learn about God's love, the more we want to give back, the more we want to share it with others. And I think this is why that Jesus tells this man plainly, I want you to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He's had mercy on you. And so we learn to trust God with everything only when we begin to see our lives and our future as a gift. Change should not be scary for the Christian. If it is, that's our flesh talking, right? What should scare us is staying the same. We should not want to keep on sinning. I should want Jesus to take away the evil desires of my heart and replace them with better ones. If He's at work inside of me, that's what I should expect to happen. This is how Paul describes our struggle in Romans 7. We're almost done. He says, so I find to be a law that when I want to do right, I serve the law of sin. So what's Paul saying? What does he want? He wants change. And that's the heart of a Christian, the Holy Spirit heart of the Christian, right? We want Jesus to change us, to deliver us. And Paul says, I know Jesus can do it. I know Jesus is committed to change because of the cross. And so my question for you is, do you want Do you want Jesus to change you? Or does that scare you? Would you rather He leaves you alone? Would you rather have control of your own future? Or can you trust Him with it? For myself, I'm asking, am I finding comfort in feeling like a victim Or pride in thinking that I don't really need help. I just need to do some things better. Or am I finding rest in God's promises to me or his perception of me? You see, I would say another thing you can see from the story is don't underestimate God's grace for sinners and don't overlook someone who seems from our perspective to be a lost cause, which is what all the disciples probably assumed this guy was. Because God delights to use the weak and the humble people of this world as a way, Paul says, to shame the wise and the prideful people in the world. Now I'll close with this. God's Spirit is daily seeking to remind me of these two things at the same time. Number one, I am a sinner, me, Mike, I am a sinner, Deserving the judgment of God. If I'm in this story, I'm the one who deserves to be hurled off the cliff into the abyss. And I prove that daily. But, a big but, number two, but God has loved me in Christ, and there is no condemnation for me because Jesus threw himself into the abyss at the cross. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, um, fairest of all our Savior,